This podcast is presented to you by Pastor Derek Armstrong and Word of Grace Community Church. For more information, please visit WOGCC.com. Off a brand new series this morning, going through the book of Philippians. I'm really excited to be able to do that today. So as you're opening up your Bible to the book of Philippians, chapter 1, if you're taking notes today, you can write this title down, Love Abounds. You can also follow along on version as well. If you have your mobile device with you, go to the live uh, section of that, and you should be able to download the notes as well. We put uh, my notes on there weekly for you to have access to as well. So love abounds. You know, as I was studying through the book of Philippians and knowing this is where we were going, knowing this was the direction that God wanted us to go so far as our teaching is concerned here, Word of Grace, I began to look at what is the really overarching theme for the book of Philippians. What is really being uh, said throughout the entire book that we can grow from, that we can learn from. And one of the main ideas that I think we can pull out of this is that we are to persevere. We are to keep on moving because of love. We keep on moving forward because of love. So today we're going to talk about love abounding. But before we get into the scripture, I want to give you just a little bit of history about the book and where uh, we are so far as reading and where Paul was, the one who was the writer of the book of Philippians. So just a few things. Number one, of course, it was written by the Apostle Paul. It was written in about 61 AD. So here we see that um, the Apostle Paul, the one who wrote the book of Romans, as well as a number of the New Testament scriptures, we see he's the same author here, and he's writing a letter to the church in a region called Philippi. That's where you get Philippians from, is people who live in Philippi. All right. So Paul planted this church in Philippi around 51 AD. So he'd, have, he'd had relationship with these guys for some 10 years, all right? He really loved these people. Paul had a very strong love for the people at the church in Philippi. Mainly, it was one of the first churches that he started. It was also one of Paul's main supporters, both financially and through prayer and service. When Paul would be looking for companions to go with him on journeys, often he would go to the church in Philippi to kind of recruit. This was kind of his hub of recruiting, if you would. Um, This was a lot of people that were very much caring about the ministry of Paul. Now, one of the things I found when I did a little history search on Philippi back in that day, it was a Roman colony, all right? And at this Roman colony, um, this was the place where a lot of the Roman soldiers would go to retire after they had served in the Roman military. They would go in to Philippi. That was just kind of the hot spot historically where Roman soldiers would go and retire. Uh, there were really two stark uh, contrasts of classes of people that were there. Very wealthy, very affluent people because there were gold mines in Philippi. And also there were very poor people. There was really no middle class in between. You either had a lot or you had nothing. And a lot of these soldiers who had saved up good retirement and who had invested well, they were kind of living out the rest of their days on this colony of Philippi. Now, also, you need to understand, Paul wrote this letter to the church that was in Philippi while he was in Roman prison. So this will help us to frame kind of the thoughts that Paul is going to be sharing and how they, uh, how they relate to us today and how we can glean from it today because he wrote this letter while it was in prison. Now, I like to watch the show Lockup. You guys ever seen that show? 
The one where, you know, it's the prison show, you get to see, you know, all kinds of crazy stuff if you watch that show. It, it comes on about 11, 11.30 at night, and uh, when there's nothing else good on TV, uh, you know, I go, oh, lockup's on, yes. And I love to watch those prison documentaries. I'll watch a documentary about anything, first of all, but there's something about that lockup show I really like. Now, these guys that are on this TV show, these guys have basketball courts, weightlifting areas, TVs. They get served three meals a day. This is not the kind of prison Paul was in. He wasn't allowed to play basketball by the Roman jailers, okay? This was the type of prison that would probably be one of the worst things that you could actually imagine, all right? This is not one of those really nice where he's got a nice bed, three square meals a day, he gets a little exercise time. This is probably a very cold, very very dark type place, you know, so uh, we need to understand this is where Paul is while he's writing these letters. And then Philippi was a Roman uh, colony, which is in modern-day Greece. And also, we need to remember that in Paul's day, was under persecution. So it was not um, popular, nor was it legal to be a Christian in this area and during this time where he's writing. Thus, the reason that he's in Roman jail. He very much loved these people and wants to reach out to them. He wants to see them, but he can't because he's incarcerated for preaching the gospel, and so Paul is writing to them in Philippians chapter 1. Let's read verse 1. Paul and Timothy, bondservants of Jesus Christ, to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi with the bishops and deacons, grace to you, peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ. I thank my God upon every remembrance of you. I always in every prayer of mine and making requests for you all with joy for your fellowship in the gospel from the first day until now. I'm confident in this thing that he who has begun a good work in you will complete it until the day of Jesus Christ. Just as it is right for me to think of you all, because I have you in my heart, inasmuch as both in my chains and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel, you are all partakers with me of grace. For God is my witness. How greatly I long for you all with the affection of Jesus Christ. And this I pray, that your love may abound still more and more in knowledge and all discernment. That you may approve the things that are excellent, that you may be sincere and without offense till the day of Christ. Being filled with the fruits of righteousness which are by Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. Now as Paul is writing... I think that one of the main messages that, that he's trying to communicate to the church of Philippi that I believe that God wants us to understand today is that love is the foundation of everything that we are called to do. Wouldn't you agree? I said love is the foundation. It is the groundwork. It is the foundation for our lives. Let everything that we do be done in love. Let it be done without strings attached. Let it be done without hidden agendas and hidden motives, not self-serving or self-seeking, but in selfless love that would give itself for another without asking anything in return. That is the gospel message that you and I have received. That kind of love from God. We've received a love from God that he purely did all on his own. We did nothing to earn it. We did nothing to deserve it. He gave it freely and he wants that love that he shed abroad in our hearts by sending his son Jesus 
to change us from the inside out. And not only change us and stop with us, but change us for the purpose of doing what, church? Of giving it out to others. Amen? Amen. We're supposed to be conduits of His love. We're supposed to be reflectors of the love of God so the world will see love through you and me. Love is the foundation to the Christian's life. And that's what Paul is trying to help these guys to see here. Listen, I love you guys. I care about you. I'm not in prison thinking about how bad things are for me. Rather, I'm thinking about you because my motive is love. Paul prayed in Philippians 1 and 9 through 11, that their love would abound more and more. He said that there in verse 9. He said, I pray that your love may abound more and more in knowledge and discernment. And as I was reading that, I was sitting here thinking about how Paul just used the word more twice. I thought that's really odd, so I thought I would go look it up and see what that word more in the original Greek text means. And the word more that's used twice in verse 9 is the Greek word malon. And it means to increase higher or larger quantities. So for Paul using this word twice, it literally was him saying, I pray your love keeps going higher and higher and in larger quantities. I want this thing to be huge. I want this thing to be awesome because of the great love you have received from God. He said, I want love to be the foundation. I pray this thing increases so that as you guys grow in love more and more, that you will be able to grow in knowledge in that love, that you'll grow in discernment in that love so that your discernment will be motivated and navigated by love, so that your knowledge will be motivated and navigated by love, that everything you do is motivated in love because it's going to help you to grow. It's going to help you have the fruits of righteousness, which from Jesus Christ for his glory. I want you guys to grow in love. Everything Paul is saying here and everything he's going to keep on saying throughout the rest of this letter to the church in Philippi is that I want love to abound. I want you to understand love is the foundation. It is the navigation. It is the GPS for our lives because Paul is in prison. Did I mention that? Paul is in prison and he's talking about love. Now, I've been sick for this past week, and being sick stinks. Amen. I don't like it. And when I get sick, my wife is a fantastic nurse. I'm an awful patient. <laughs> I am a terrible nurse, and my wife is also an awful patient. Now... This past week, when I was thirsty and I wanted a glass of water, I was well able to go get a glass of water myself. But what did I do? Because my circumstance wasn't favorable, I said, oh, honey, would you get me a glass of <coughs> water? Of course, I'll get you a glass of water. I'll be right back. She brings me a glass of water. Would you like anything else? She's such a wonderful human being for putting up with that. But let me tell you something. How many times when we're sick, how many times when we don't feel well, do we use our sickness to get people to feel sorry for us? 
We use our bad situation to get people to feel sorry for us. How many times when there's some drama going up in our lives do we put it out on social media for everyone to see so people will get mad about stuff they have no idea about even what's going on? We will watch a video that will anger us and we will share it with our friends so they can be angry too. This video made me mad. Watch this. I can't believe people would do this. Oh, man, now I'm mad. That's good. We've all just gotten mad. For what? We're sharing our offenses because our natural human nature that is driven by self wants to feed self, wants people to feel sorry for me, wants people to feel what I feel because at the end of the day, it's all about me. People will even bait other people on Facebook with their drama. They'll do this. They'll put something on Facebook and they'll say, oh, I know she didn't. That was so wrong. And everybody going, what are you talking about? What are you talking about? What are you talking about? (laughs) Private message me for more details. (laughs) Who has time for this business? If you're doing that, that is goofy. Stop. Because you're wanting to not resolve the situation. Because what would love do? Love would not carry the offense. Love would want to make it right and bring reconciliation and restoration. Love would want to bring forgiveness. No, our selfish sin nature wants to play into the drama of the situation to get sympathy or someone to feel sorry for me because we have an attention deficit. And we need people to give us attention when things are going well in our lives or when things seem to be falling apart or someone offended us or did us wrong. We want everybody else to be mad too. And so we will try to share our offenses. We'll share our hurt. We'll share our sickness. We'll share our pain. We'll share all those things oftentimes with a motive, not of resolution, a motive of sympathy or a motive of just wanting attention or a motive of wanting to stir the pot. And it's not helping anybody. And if anyone had an opportunity to write a letter to somebody while they were in prison, man, Paul could have written quite the letter to have garnered a lot of sympathy, couldn't he? He could have opened up his letter by saying, Hey, this place stinks. I mean, let me play basketball. It's not anything like on TV. Whatever that is. Paul would have said, the other day, the jailer, he spit on me. Or the other day, when they slid the rations underneath our door, I saw that the guy next to me in the cell got more than me. That ain't right. Private message me for more details. But folks, Paul could have played the sympathy card all day long, could he have not been in the situation he was in? But you don't see the Apostle Paul opening up his letter to people that he loves and that he cares about talking about himself. Instead, what do you see him talking about? You see him saying, I've been praying for you guys. I've been thinking about you because I love you. I'm more interested in your well-being. How can I help you? How can I serve you even through being in prison? How can I love on you? 
How can I make the best of my time in this difficult situation to be used for the glory of God instead of for me rattling off all of the things that are going on in my life and me feeling sorry for myself and, oh, it's not fair, I was shipwrecked, oh, I got beaten, I got flogged, I've I've lost so many friends, nobody likes me anymore, everybody's wanting to kill me, and you guys just, I mean, come on, can't you help a brother out? Instead of that, you hear Paul going, I've been thinking about you, I've been praying for you, Because I love you and I want your love to increase. I don't want you to be offended. Matter of fact, he says that here. He says that in verse 10, that you could approve of things that are excellent, that you would be sincere and without offense until the day of Christ. That you don't walk through this life being offended at what other people have done or haven't done or how unjust this situation is or how unjust that is. Instead, why don't you do something productive with your life and productive with your time and why don't you grow in love and let that abound more and more? That's what Paul said. From prison, by the way, if I haven't mentioned that. He said, I want your love to grow and I want your love to abound. You see, here Paul is in prison. He's not trying to sell his sob story about being flogged daily or how well he's being fed or how uncomfortable his bed is. He's actually concerned about others' well-being. You want to know why? Because love is his GPS and love is selfless. It's not about serving myself. It's not about what I can get out of the deal. It's actually about less of me. Love is selfless, not selfish. It says, no, how can I serve you? Because I love you, even in this situation. Paul used a negative situation to see not what he could get out of the deal, not to see how others could give him the sympathy that he thought he had deserved because of all the junk he had been through and how unfair it was. Instead, Paul said, how can this be used for the glory of God? How can my chains be used for the glory of God? Let's keep on reading verse 12. He said, I want you to know, brethren, that the things that happened to me, they've actually turned out for the furtherance of the gospel. So that it has become evident to the whole palace guard and to everyone else that my chains are in Christ. And most of the brethren in the Lord... They have become confident by my chains. They're much more bold to speak the word without fear now. Some indeed preach Christ even from envy and strife. Some also from goodwill. The former preach Christ from selfish ambition, not sincerely. And they're kind of adding affliction to my chains here. But the latter out of love, knowing that I am appointed for the defense of the gospel. So what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is preached. And in this I rejoice, yes, and I will rejoice. For I know that this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayer and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. According to my earnest expectations, and I hope that in nothing I shall be ashamed. But with all boldness as always, so now also Christ will be magnified in my body, whether in my life or by my death. You see, Paul is more focused and concerned about his life bringing glory to God, whether it's through life or death. I'm going to let him be glorified in my life. You see, here is Paul, and he's in a very inconvenient state. Wouldn't you agree? But yet he said, I would be willing to do this. Why? For the sake of the gospel. Because there was something that had gotten a hold of this guy that was bigger than what was convenient. 
There was something that had gotten a hold of this guy that was bigger than what was easy or what made sense. Because we think that if we come to Christ and we become a Christian, then everything in our life is just going to turn out hunky-dory. Everything's going to be easy and it's all going to be wonderful. And we're all just going to be holding hands, singing kumbaya, and little bunnies and butterflies are going to be all around us. And we think that's this idea that, oh, it's just going to be so wonderful. We're all just going to be soft-spoken, smiling, happy people all the time. That's what Christians are after all, right? And we never think, it, it blows our minds when trials and tribulations come sometimes if we have that mentality about living for God. Oh, whoa, 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 I'm, I didn't sign up for this. Remember when Jesus told the disciples that the world is going to hate you and it's going to be my fault that they're going to hate you? You see, we like to identify with Christ and when we go death, death and burial and resurrection. Yeah, we identify with Christ and we, we want to be raised together to see with Him in heavenly places and all that's right and all that stuff's wonderful and all that stuff's real. But what about identifying with Him in suffering as well? He talked about that too. Oh, no, I don't want to read about that. I mean, those are the ones we skip over, Pastor. <laughs> that was for back then. No, it wasn't. There are things that you and I go through that don't make sense, that aren't right, that aren't fair. And we either give up, want to shift the blame to somebody else and say it's not my fault. We don't want to take any responsibility. We always want to play the victim all the time and we never want to get up and move forward in life because we think that everybody's out to get us. Everything, everything is, is, is owed to us. We feel entitled. But God says, no, 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 that doesn't need to be the navigation of your life. That's, that's the, the fruit of being navigated by selfishness. And the more we feed selfishness, the more we'll be navigated in life by that and be directed in life. But the Bible says that as many as are led by the Spirit of God, they are the sons of God, and the Spirit of God is what? Is love. You and I are to be guided by love. Love, God is love. It's, it's, it's not what He does. It's not what He chooses to do. It's who He is. It's His nature. And so for us to be led by God is for us to be led by love in every area of our lives. And love is selfless. Love is patient. Love is kind, right? Love's not seeking its own. Love would actually prefer someone else. Love wants to make the situation right. Love wants to forgive. Love wants to hold someone up and build someone up, not tear them down. Because love's not interested in what it can gain or how it can benefit from the situation. You know, so many times we're willing to do nice deeds for other people when we can clearly see what's in it for us. And we go, oh yeah, everyone's going to think I'm a hot shot if I do this. Everyone's going to look at how awesome I am if I do this. What about doing those things that nobody ever knows about? What about those people who have come to Christ and those people who have found repentance because someone prayed and stood in the gap for their family member and no one in this room will ever know that they did those things? What about those things that are done in secret? You see, I think that the motive of our heart, whether people see what we do or not, I think that the motive of our heart needs to be one that is driven by love, not one that's looking for what I can get out of the deal. Amen? Amen. And I see this as the motive of Paul. I see that Paul has been so gripped by the weight of the gospel. I see that Paul has been so gripped by the love of God that while Paul was yet a sinner, that Christ would die for him and that would call him to himself and say, Paul, why are you, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He called him Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He said, who are you? He said, I'm Jesus Christ, the one you've been persecuting. That love so overtook this man that it changed his heart. You know, we're always trying to change people. 
with behavior modification, trying to get people to act better, if acting better were somehow the goal. No, the goal is to love more, and you'll become more Christ-like. Amen? Amen? The only way you can love more is if you let His love take over those hard areas of your life to break those things, for you to be broken for other people instead of you wanting someone else to fail that did you wrong. Instead, be, be, be sorrowful for them, weep for them, pray for them, love them, serve them. The Bible talks about this theme over and over again, that love is not seeking self. Love is willing to be inconvenienced in order to bless someone else. Even if that means prison, I'll be inconvenienced so that the whole palace guard can know the gospel. Because I've been able to spread the gospel even because of my chains. God is still getting the glory. In other words, my chains are not going to defeat me. I'm going to see how I can use this hard situation to bring God glory. Because Paul's purpose was greater than his pain. Paul's purpose was greater than the inconvenience that prison brought him. His purpose was greater than any difficulty that he was facing, either at times prior or at the present. Whatever he had been through, he had seen the faithfulness of God. He had seen where God had taken him to sit at tables with kings. And he had seen where God was still with him in the jail cell. And he said, my God's not abandoned me, so I can do all this because he gives me strength. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, so it doesn't matter. My purpose is greater than my pain because my purpose is navigated by love. When love is navigating my life, when love is the foundation of my life, it gives me purpose because all of a sudden life becomes more than what I can accumulate. Life becomes more than what I can accomplish. Life becomes more than just something that's all focused around me and what I can do or what I've done. All of a sudden, my identity gets wrapped up in Christ and it's no longer about where I've been, what I have done, what I haven't done, what I've been through. It now becomes about something greater than me and that's the gospel of Jesus Christ. And that pushes me and drives me and awakens something in me that wants to share that love with other people. Because the purpose of that love is not just so I tank it up and feel warm fuzzies when I come to church. The purpose of that love of God is to wreck my heart, to cause me to repent, to cause me to turn, to cause me to grow, to cause me to serve, to cause me to give. That love changes me from the inside out the more I allow that love to affect my life. I say, Jesus, let your love become so real to me that it would break away any hardness in me, that it would cause me to repent for anything in my life that I have not surrendered to you, that it would cause me to give those areas in my life to you that I have wanted to hold control over because my purpose is greater than my pain. My purpose is greater than anything that I have done or what has been done to me whether I've been a victim of circumstance or whether I've made poor decisions or both, and I think we're all in that boat. Or we're not looking for justice and vengeance. Instead, we're saying, my purpose is greater than my pain. If you're in a storm right now, you can say with boldness, my purpose is greater than my pain if you understand love as your foundation. Are you getting this this morning, church? Let's keep on reading here in Philippians 1. And 21, Paul said, for me to live is Christ and to die is gain. But if I live on in the flesh, 
This will mean fruit from my labor. Yet what I choose I cannot tell, for I'm, I'm hard-pressed, really, between the two. I have a desire to depart and be with Christ, and that's really better, <laughs> you know, than this prison, shipwreck, bitten by snakes, chased around town. You know, it's really better to be with Christ than to be here on earth. He said, nevertheless, to remain in the flesh is more needful for you. And being confident of this, I know that I'm going to remain and continue with you all for your progress and joy of faith, that your rejoicing for me may be more abundant in Jesus Christ by my coming to you again. Only let your conduct be worthy of the gospel of Christ, so that whenever I come to see you or wherever I'm absent, I, I may hear of your affairs that you stand fast in one spirit that you have one mind, that you're striving together for the faith of the gospel, not in any way terrified by your adversaries, and actually to them that's proof of your perdition, but to you, your salvation, and that's from God. For to you it's been granted on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also to suffer for his sake, having the same conflict which you saw in me, and now you hear is in me. Wow. Paul said, it's been granted to you on behalf of Christ, not only to believe in him, but also suffer for his sake. Amen. He said, listen, he said, this is for the glory of God. This is for the glory of God. Paul said, I would rather die than suffer on this planet so I could be in heaven. That's what Paul said. I would rather do that. But... Because of my love for you, I strive to stay alive for your benefit because I know I'm called to serve you. I know I'm called to love you. I know I'm called to give you the gospel. I know I'm called to spread this message. And so I'm going to strive to stay alive. I'm not going to put myself in harm's way in order to try to to, uh, somehow quicken my death so I can be with Christ. I'm not going to pray and wish and plead for that. Instead, I'm going to say, you know what? I recognize that it's better for me to fight to stay alive because I want to keep loving on you, teaching you, preaching the gospel. He said, this is my purpose. What's motivating him? What's causing Paul to do this instead of just give up in the middle of the trial, instead of give up in the middle of the storm? What is it? It's love. Unconditional love. The agape love of God that has been shed abroad in his heart, that he has been chosen by God to receive his love, to open up his heart to the love of God. And that changed this man. And now it's his driving force to want to serve people, even in prison. I think most of the time, when people are in prison, they're thinking about themselves, thinking about how bad things are. I think most of us, when we're in prisons, when we're in trials, when we're in chains, most of the time the temptation is to always think about ourselves because we don't like pain. I mean, we have a hundred different prescriptions for pain that are in our cabinet at home. As soon as pain comes, we want to immediately try to fix that. We don't like pain, but yet Paul says, my purpose is greater than my pain. Paul said, I actually rejoice in my chains. He said, I know these things that I'm going through that are difficult can actually be used for the glory of God. So I'm going to look for that angle and see how I can glorify God through this difficult situation because God is going to get the glory through this either by my life or by my death. 
How can you say that, man? You can say that when love is your foundation. You can say that when love abounds. When you're opening up your heart to the love of God and you're getting to know Jesus Christ in a personal relationship where you talk to Him, where your relationship spans beyond weekly church attendance, where your relationship spans beyond just reciting prayers, where your relationship spans beyond just singing songs to Him, where your relationship spans beyond just knowing about Him, but knowing who He is because you talk to Him. Because you know him. I had a buddy of mine who was a missionary. And he told me that when he went over to the foreign country where he serves, that he was sharing with the group about Jesus. These people had never heard of Jesus before. And then at the end he closed with a prayer. And one of the people, one of the the guys went up to him after he was done speaking and praying and he said, I've never heard anyone talk about anyone so passionately before. You must actually know him. And when my friend told me this, the weight of that stuck in my heart because it made me think, do we talk about God like we know him? Or do we talk about God like we know about him? Do we talk about him like he's some character in a play or in some storybook. That's why I, 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 I try not to use the phrase Bible stories necessarily or Bible characters because I don't want my children to think that these are just characters in some play or in some story. These are real people who actually existed. These are, these are not just characters. These are actual people who walked this earth. And, and for me to understand that brings a great deal of weight to all these things that we're reading. And God is not just some fairy tale character that we talk about. He's someone I can know personally. He's someone that wants me to know him personally. That when I speak about God, that people would feel the weight of this is someone he's speaking that he actually knows. You guys know that I like basketball a lot. And growing up, one of my favorite uh, NBA superstars was Reggie Miller. He's shooting guard. For the Indiana Pacers, I loved Reggie. Reggie was fantastic. Matter of fact, I have a small shrine in my home to Reggie. <laughs> With little, little figurines and co- basketball cards. It's, it's in my office at my house. I just thought Reggie was the greatest. And I could tell you all these things about Reggie. But you know what? If I were to run into him on the street and go, Hey, Reggie, he wouldn't have a clue who I was. But I could know everything there was to know about him. I knew where he went to high school. knew all of his averages. Could tell you anything you wanted to know about Reggie. I could probably even tell you his favorite food during that time. I get a little obsessed about stuff like that, you know. But if I, if I were to talk about him, I could tell you a lot of things that I know about him, but I don't know him. Are we talking about God like we know him or we just know a lot about him because we've been trained to know a lot about him? You see, he wants us to know him more because when we know him more, then our heart becomes receptive to his love to a greater degree. We get to not only know him, but we get to experience who he is. And when we experience that love of God, that's what changes us. Knowledge is only going to take you so far. You've got to have a heart change in order to truly grow. Amen?
I, I, I can know all this stuff. I can know all the answers, and I can spit out all the answers. That's why people can tell you the answers all day long. That's why people can say, oh, I'll tell you how to fix this problem, and then their life is a mess. Why? Because we can know it, but living it is different. You see, the love of God is the foundation for me to live this stuff. Matter of fact, if you look at 1 Corinthians chapter 13, he said you can do all these wonderful spiritual things. He said you can speak with tongues of angels. You can do all these wonderful things that look super spiritual. But if you don't have love, you're not doing anything. He said you're making a bunch of racket. You're just making a bunch of noise. He said love is the key. Love is the thing that needs to abound in our heart because we know Him personally. We keep moving forward in our lives. We don't stop when trials come because we're navigated by love. Because our purpose is Christ. Because we understand that Jesus is our purpose. And we move forward because of Him. We move forward because of Jesus Christ. So don't give up. Don't quit. Now's not the time for you to throw in the towel. Now's not the time for you to quit. Now's the time for you to make the decision in the middle of your storm, in the middle of your chains, in the middle of your trial, to love and be loved. To not only be a giver of love, but be a recipient of love. It's time to make the decision to be loving towards one another. We need to allow the love of Christ to affect every area of our lives because love is going to persevere. Love is going to continue because love's purpose is founded in Christ. It's who God is. And it gives us a great, great purpose. You know, here Paul's talking about pursuing because of Christ, moving forward because of Christ, persevering because of Christ. Because he's so captivated by the love of God that no trial, no junk that man can throw his way is going to deter him. Because love has so overtaken him. He said, so whether by life or whether by death, my life's going to be glorified by Christ. He's, he's going to get the glory out of this deal. I'm doing this for his glory, for his purpose, for, for his benefit. So if, if I live, wonderful. If I die, then great, whatever. I'm not concerned about me as much as I'm concerned about his glory because I know him and I know his love for me and it's overtaken me. It's changed the way I think. It's changed my whole value system. It's changed the way I feel about things. It's changed the way I handle conflict. It's changed the way I treat my wife. It's changed the way that I spend time and treat my children. It's changed the way that I handle my finances. It's changed the way that I, I, I show up to work because it's changed my attitude and it's changed the way that I treat others when they wrong me because this love is so huge and it's greater than anything that I would face in life. And it guides me. You see, the gospel is love. The gospel is love. God didn't give up on any of us when we were at our worst, did he? He didn't go, oh, yeah, you're pretty sorry. I don't, I don't know about that. <coughs> Excuse me. He didn't go, oh, man, you're, you're really, really a crummy individual. I don't think I can love you anymore. No, the Bible says that while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. Christ loved us when we were at, his wor at, at our worst, when he was at his best, and we're at our worst. He chose to reach down and to love us by sending his son to give us life. For us while we were yet sinners, while we were considered haters of God, 
His love outshined the darkness in me, and he called me to himself. And now, because of that love, he's given me purpose. And he says that my purpose is to love like he loved, to count every day as a gift, as an opportunity to love others the way God loved us, to be instruments that are used for his glory, to let love abound. I want to say this, and I think that this wraps the whole thing up. We press on, not because everything is going to work out the way that we want it to, but because we see every circumstance as an opportunity to let the love of God be shown to the world. We don't press on because we know everything's going to work out the way we want it to, because we don't know if it's going to work out the way we want it to. How many times... Do we want to get mad at God or mad at other people because the circumstance doesn't turn out the way we thought it should? Because people don't treat us the way we think we should be treated. Because people don't value the things we think they should value and do the things that we think they should do. And when they don't, how do we react? Do we get angry? Do we want to withdraw? Do we get depressed? Do we get violent? Because others are doing things that we don't like? Or do we keep on moving forward because we say, how can I use this opportunity to let the love of God be shown through my life? Instead of looking at carrying around offenses and going, oh man, that person's going to get it. I don't want to be there when it happens. I'd love to be a fly on the wall when they get there. They're going to get what's coming to them. What did Paul say in the 10th verse of the first chapter of Philippians? He said, don't carry around offense. Don't care around the way. Don't care around this junk. This, actually, make sure that you're letting love abound, that you keep growing in that more and more. Higher and higher. Increase. Bigger and bigger and bigger. And that's why we press on, not because everything's going to go our way. If you signed up to be a believer in Jesus and start coming to church and being a Christian because you think that everything works out the way we want it to because that's how Christian's life seems to go. No. Let me tell you, people got issues. Right? Yeah, come on, somebody. <laughs> People got issues. We got stuff we go through. We got stuff we deal with. And we're either going to feel like failures because of that, or we're going to look around and see who's got the dirtier pile of garbage so we can begin to talk about that and feel better about ourselves because maybe our pile's not quite as stinky as theirs. My Bible says all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. All of us have stinky garbage. We've all been haters of God. We've all rejected Him because that's the sin nature that's a part of a fallen world. And every one of us came out of the womb with this rebellious spirit. But yet, right in the middle of our rebellion, right in the middle of, our, of, of being children of wrath, as the Bible calls us, not trying to class everyone and saying, oh, this person's not that bad of a sinner. This person's, oh, they're okay. I think they'll be all right. No, it's not of works. We're saved by grace through faith. Amen? Amen. Not of works, not lest any one of us could boast because we can't boast about this because we had nothing to do with it. It's by faith. And even that faith, Ephesians says, was a gift from God so that our trust and our hope wouldn't be in our works and our ability but it would rather be in the finished work of the cross of Jesus Christ that accepted us right where we were, that loved us right where we were. And I know that because that love's been shed abroad in my heart that I see every circumstance 
whether it's in my favor or whether it's not, it can still be used for the glory of God. So that means that the thing that the enemy wants to take you out with, God can turn it around for his glory. Amen? That means that the thing that you're dealing with right now, as hard as it is, as much as it hurts, as much pain and agony as it brings you, as much fear as it has stirred up in you, God can turn that thing around and bring glory to himself through it if you'll look at it and say, God, how can I see this through your lens? How can I learn to love through this situation? How can I let love lead me through this situation? How can I let love guide me in this circumstance that I'm in? God, help me to see that. That needs to be our prayer. That needs to be how we move forward. That's why we press on, because we have a purpose, and that purpose is Christ. That's why Philippians 4.13, I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me. That's exactly what the Apostle Paul's talking about. He's talking about whether things are going the way I want them to or whether they're not. I can keep on moving forward. I press towards the prize. I press on. Not because of anything this earth has to offer me, but because I know that I have a purpose. And that purpose is to love as I've been loved. It's to show the glory of God through how I live my life. To conduct my life in a, in a manner that would reflect the glory of God. Even when I fail, even when I fall, I can still say, God, help me to walk through this in a way that's going to bring you glory and honor. Help me to walk in the freedom that you have bought and paid for. Help me to receive the forgiveness. Help me to grow in my relationship with you. Help me to grow in loving others. Help me growing in receiving your love. So many people struggle with feeling like they're not worthy to be loved by God. Folks, we are all in the same boat apart from Christ. He's the difference maker. Amen? Not you, not me. Not your laundry list of, of, of dirty, dirty deeds that you've done in your past. No, no, no. It's Jesus that brings us all together. Not classifications of what you've done or what you haven't done. No, it's, it's the love of God that unites us. That's why Paul told the Philippians, he said, guys, be one heart, be one mind, be one spirit. Strive to keep unity in your church and understand that you have a purpose that's greater than any individual, and that's the gospel to be recipients of the gospel and be distributors of the gospel. Because to whom much is given, what? Much is required. We've been given much, wouldn't you agree? We're called to be distributors of that love to reflect the glory of God. Thank you for listening. For more information, please visit wogcc.com.